Uh, welcome, welcome, non-campers. Right here, yeah, right? Why do you hate camping so much? I'm just asking. I thought there'd be less people. I thought we had more campers. This is good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, this message, honestly, I, I think it's incredibly critical that we get this message tonight, <clears throat> that we understand what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6. We're continuing our study through Romans. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors. And last week, Josh uh, reminded us that we broke up Romans into five different seasons. So he started Romans, uh, I mean, season three last week with uh, just jumping into chapter six. I'm going to continue in chapter six. We're talking about sanctification in this whole season. Um, sanctification is God's process of helping believers grow in holiness and righteousness. It's basic. Basically, us becoming who God called us to be, leaving our old life behind and becoming new in Christ, sanctification. And this process of sanctification, it's really like a transformation. How do we transform from our old life to our new life? And that's what Paul talks about. And this transformation is not unlike transforming 600 pounds of creamy butter into a butter cow... Do you like that segue? I worked on that. Yeah. Every year I've got to get the butter cow. When we went to Iowa State Fair a few weeks ago with my daughter-in-law, Nicole, and my grandson, Graham, and my wife, Mary, and we saw the butter cow. We saw lots of other things. We ate our way through the fair. There's so many things you can eat at the Iowa State Fair. Um, even on the plane, we had to fly back to Iowa this time because I did a wedding back there, but on the plane, the United magazine. My wife is thumbing through it, and Joanne Gaines had an article. In her article, she said, one of the top five things you should do is go to the Iowa State Fair. I'm not kidding, right? As we are going to the Iowa State Fair. And uh, this is how cool the Iowa State Fair is. This shirt, it's a butter cow shirt. And um, I got it two years ago. And there was a booth. It was a family-run booth, a t-shirt booth. And we stopped, and I was looking. I like this t- I like the t-shirt I saw, and I said, I like that one. Do you have any enlarged? And it was a family-run, just a, a sweet little family was running this. And he looked. He said, oh, we're out on the larges. And he looked at his beefy, strong farm boy high school kid, and he had this shirt on. He said, son, what size do you have on? And they looked, his mom looked, and it was large. He said, take that off and give it to him. <laughs> so this shirt... He literally, Iowans literally give the shirts off their backs to you. That's exactly what he did it with a smile. So that's my Iowa, that's what I did for my summer vacation, all right? So we're going to talk about transformation. We're going to talk about sanctification. Uh, And as we prepare these messages, we study the Bible so much. We listen to messages, we, uh, we have uh, different books that we look at, so many things that we look at, podcasts, sermons, and once in a while there's just sermons that really hit me, and I just want to give credit because I, I dive deeply into this sermon and I use some of his main points and some of his amazing examples. I want to give credit right up front to Skip Heitzig. Some of you I know love him. He's a really amazing teacher. His Roman series, he's, he's got several Roman series, but I love them, and they've helped me in this message, and I wanted to give him credit. There's his website. He's in um, New Mexico and Albuquerque. You should check it out. He's a great teacher. So um, let me begin with this. In 1986, uh, Los Angeles Times ran a story on October 17th about 
an Italian sailing team that went to Australia to compete in the America's Cup race. You're familiar with that. And they decided to go a little bit early, and they, their sponsor, which at the time was an Italian designer, Gucci, they were all dressed up in the finest fashionable attire, sports attire. And they, wanted, they went a little bit early because they wanted to uh, check out the Outback, just go touring a little bit before their race. So they got there early. They rented a car. They went out to the Outback. And what were they looking for in Australia? That's right. They were looking for kangaroos, okay? So they not only found a kangaroo, they hit a kangaroo with their car <laughs> at a high rate of speed, knocked it on the side of the road, and they stopped, and they were so sad, and they got out, and they tried to shake it, and it was just, it was there. And they said, man, we killed a kangaroo. And it was, they were saddened by it. They didn't know what to do, and they decided, hey, we came out to see kangaroos, so let's just take some pictures. So they took some pictures. And whether this is smart or not, one of them had the idea, the bright idea, let's put one of our jackets on the kangaroo and take a picture of it. So that's what he did. That's what he did. He put the jacket on the kangaroo, step back, take a picture, and then suddenly the kangaroo sprang back to life, <laughs> shocking them intensely, and it ran, hopped into the outback before they could take a picture or even catch it. So somewhere in Australia is a very fashionably dressed kangaroo wearing a Gucci jacket. And inside that jacket are the keys to a Land Rover. And the team's credit cards. You see, I fear we can make the same mistake I fear we can make the same mistake. We can assume that our old temptations, our sinful desires are dead on the side of the road. And then all of a sudden they spring up when we least expect it and it scares the bejeebers out of us. <laughs> Paul frames this very real battle in Galatians chapter 5. And he says it this way, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a war going on. And as Christians, I, I just have to believe that we're all familiar with this war, aren't we? Yes? I'm not the only one that feels this intense battle. Even the Apostle Paul struggled. And then in, in chapter 7 in a few weeks, you're going to see that he, he had the same struggle that we have. But it's a battle that we can win. Amen? And we must win. Uh, I call my message tonight, Winning the War with Sin. And thinking of war, Omar Bradley, who was a four-star general in World War II, he said, in war, there is no prize for runner-up. We are in a war against sin. There's no prize for runner-up. We must win, and we can win. Fortunately, we're going to see in Romans 6 that, that Paul gives us a, a game plan, a battle plan. We can win this war. In fact, here's what I'm going to cover tonight. We're going to look at three steps to have victory over sin. We're going to look at uh, there's three things you need to remember. Reason, reckon, resist. We reason with our mind. We reason. There's some things that God wants us to know. Whenever we're in a battle, we need to know our enemy. Then we reckon in our heart. We believe in our heart what God says to us, and then we take action with our will. That's what we're going to look at, all right? Let's just jump into it here. <clears throat> Number one, the first strategy to win the war with sin is to reason. By engaging our minds, so we're going we're gonna to engage our minds, our hearts, and our will in order to win this battle with sin. We engage our minds, Romans 6, 
8 through 10. This is where Josh left off last week. Let's read this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know, there's the knowledge. There's where we engage our minds. We, there's something that we know, something we need to know in order to win this battle. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, some of these thoughts were shared uh, last week in Josh's section of verses. I just want us to know, I'm, I'm going to get very practical here. You and I, if we're going to win this war against sin, we need to grow in the knowledge of the truth, the truth that God gives us, especially here in Romans chapter 6. Now, no matter what you do, whatever your occupation is in life, whatever your hobbies are, whether you're a painter, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a chef or a lawyer, you need knowledge, don't you? To be successful in what you do. If you're a surgeon, please, please, please get knowledge before you start cutting on people, right? You have to know certain things, and we expect you to know certain things. When it comes to this battle, Paul says you need to know some things. There's some things you need to know that will help you in this battle. In fact, we read in Hosea, it says this, My people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Now note... Jose didn't say, my people are destroyed because of lack of commitment. My people are destroyed because of lack of love. My people are destroyed because of a lack of tithing. My people are destroyed because of a lack of dedication or worthiness or going to the right church. No, my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. We need to engage our minds with the truths that Paul gives us here. Peter says, grow in the grace of and say it with me, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus told the religious leaders of his time in Matthew 22, you are in error because you do not know. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. There's things we need to know. So what do we need to know to grow in practical righteousness? Well, there's two things I'll cover. First, we need to know that our old life is defeated. Not will be, is defeated because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we just read. Our old life is defeated. And we can go back to some of the verses that Josh shared last week. In verses 6, it says, for we know. There it is again. We know something. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body of sin, our body of sin, might be done away with. We need to know that. We need to engage our mind. We need to reason with this. And then Romans 6, 2, Josh covered this one as well. It says, we died to sin. How can we live in it? Or don't you know, don't you know, let me just read the whole thing here. Uh, we died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We need to know this. If we're going to win the battle of sin, we need to know that our old life is defeated because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is defeated. We're no longer slaves to sin. And he uses the, the illustration of baptism to help us know this, to really get it in our mind. Now, think about baptism. 
Baptism is a public expression of what's already taken place in our hearts after we become a Christian. It's a beautiful picture of when we're dipped in under the water, it's, it's, we're saying to the entire world, all those that are watching and to ourselves, our own heart, is that I, my old self is dead and buried. And then when we're brought out of the water, we're saying, I am now alive. I'm a new creature. I'm alive in Christ. That's the picture of baptism. It doesn't save you. It doesn't cleanse you. It's simply a public demonstration of what's already happened. That's why it's so important for us to get baptized. I don't know if you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, you should get baptized. You should get baptized. It's so important. I'm not sure why people wait so long. I don't know why people wait. They get say they become a Christian and then wait 20 years. And I'm glad they're getting baptized, but why did you wait 20 years? Get baptized right away. If you're a believer, and let the world know about it. We're not going to hide it. That's why we put a tub up here and say, we want the whole world to see. We want to celebrate this new life. And we want the world to understand that becoming a Christian means you're dead to your old self and you're alive to Christ. That's what baptism is about. In fact, in some countries, for instance, India, they make a big deal about baptisms. If you get baptized in India, there'll be a parade. You'll be doing a tambourine, shouting down the streets, and all the people are looking out the windows, and you're basically saying, I used to be this way, and now I'm this way, and the difference is who? Jesus. He's made all the difference. And I'm on my way to get baptized to publicly declare to everyone that I'm a believer. About 40 years ago, there was a public execution of the old Bill Young when I got baptized. That's really what it was. It was a public execution. I am no longer that guy. Who was that guy? Well, this is kind of who that old guy was before and after. This was about two years. This is my last year in high school on the left. And then a couple years later, I moved in with believers and, and God saved me in college and got hold of my life. I had a public execution when I got baptized in that little tiny crick. Now, if you're not from the Midwest, it's a stream of water, okay? A crick. Anybody else call it a crick? Am I the only one? It's a crick. You, you knew what I was talking about. I got baptized in that little crick, and I told the world that I'm different. Now, my friends, they didn't like the difference, and, and we haven't talked for over 40 years. They didn't like the fact that I was different, and I get that, you know, because I was partying with the best of them at that time in high school and first year in college, and and to come back, a born-again Christian who's talking about Jesus all the time and not drinking and not doing what I used to do, it, it bugged them. And they couldn't really handle it. So that was a public execution, even lost friendships. But here's a, here's a, a footnote. This will encourage you. This week, my best friend who's in the water, he's on the very right in the middle, Mike, his... Um, mother died. Now, that's not the good news. That was sad. I loved his mother. She was like a mom to me. And I found out, so I sent condolences, and he reached out to me. And he hadn't talked to me because it freaked him out that I stopped drinking, I stopped doing all that stuff. It's been over 40 years. He called me, and we had a, an amazing conversation on the phone. We talked about getting together and how we, I told him just stories about how I missed him and how he, his mom had affected my life. And we caught up on each other's family. I mean, it was a glory to God. It truly was. That's just a little sidebar. 
But baptism is a picture of what's happened, uh, how we've transferred from old to new. And that shows the world that sin is powerless. Our old lifestyle, our old lifestyle is powerless in our lives, okay? And let's go to the next slide. Number two, our old lifestyle is powerless. So our old life is defeated and our old lifestyle is powerless. Again, Romans 6, 6 from last week. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And we sang a song tonight. It almost made me cry that I'm a sin free from, I'm a, all that we, how's it? I'm a slave free from chains. You and I, we're, we're slaves freed from chains. What a beautiful picture. We're, we're slaves freed from chains. Our old lifestyle that used to shackle us is no longer powerful over us. It doesn't have a hold on us anymore. You say, well, I feel like it does, but it doesn't. And that's where our knowledge comes in. We need to know what God says is true, whether we believe it or not, because we can something can be true and not having the knowledge can keep us in chains. I, I thought about this last week when Josh taught. It was a great message. You should listen to it. Um, I thought about this example. In Jamaica, in July of 1838, after hundreds of years of slavery, finally um, emancipation became the law of the land at midnight on July 31st. And they had a big celebration, and missionary William Nibb led that fight, and they, they built a big coffin, and they put chains and whips and all these instruments of slavery in the coffin, and they buried it and had a celebration at midnight. But here's the deal. There were islands around Jamaica where there were slaves, and the slave owners chose not to communicate that knowledge to their slaves, and some of those slaves were still slaves for years because they didn't have the knowledge See how important knowledge is? They withheld it from them. So they were still chained and they still served as slaves, even though in reality, they were free. You know, that's very sad to me. But you know what's even sadder? I know some Christians who are still living like they're under the law, like they have to, they have to work to please God, to get God's favor. And if they don't do enough, then he's not going to love them. That's even sadder to me, that you think that the only way you get forgiven is if you ask for forgiveness for every single sin that you do. Otherwise, it's not forgiven. You've missed the knowledge that we read in the Bible. Didn't we just read that Christ died for how many sins? All sins. Man, that, that just that knowledge can set you free. And God wants you to be set free. D.L. Moody said this, and I love it. He said, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. Where are you going to find the knowledge you need to be free from sin? Right here. It's right here. It's in Romans 6. It's in Galatians. It's in many other places. You need to know it. Get it in your brain. Engage with it with your brain. Let me ask you, are you engaging your mind by reading the Bible? Are you doing that consistently? Let me ask you this. If, if I was to talk with you and I said to you, what, are you reading the Bible? Yes, I'm reading it. What's your plan? I would say, what's your plan? And you think, well, what's your plan? What do you mean? I mean, what, what, do you, what are you following? How do you know what to read every day? Do you have a plan? 
And some people can get by. I get that just by, you know, just open it up and start reading. I personally need a plan. I think most people do. In fact, if you don't have a plan, oftentimes you're planning to fail. Do you have a plan? Do you have, are you, I read through the one-year Bible every year. That's what I've done for decades. It just helps me stay on track to get through the Bible every year. Do you have a plan? Are you engaging? What's your plan? If you need plans, we can help you. I can help you. Talk to me. I'll resource you. There are a lot of cool plans out there, okay? So you and I, we need to engage our minds. We need to reason. That's the first strategy to win the war with sin is to reason by engaging our mind. That means understanding the knowledge of who we are. The old is dead. Behold, the new has come. We're alive with Christ, and we are free. Sin no longer is our master, okay? So let's go to number two, the second strategy. First, we reason. Second, we reckon. So we reason with our minds. We reckon with our hearts. Uh, We need to believe what God says about us. So not just know it, right? We need to believe it. You can know something. You can just ignore it. Don't do that with this truth. Know it and believe it in your heart. We need to believe it in our hearts. Romans 6.11, we'll continue on. It says this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. In the same way, count yourselves, what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Most translations use the word reckon. In the same way, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We don't use that word very often. When I think of the word reckon, I think of people down south. I reckon you're going to get some Mountain Dew or get some orange pop down in Florida or in Arkansas or Tennessee. You reckon, or I think of a Western, a good old Western with Clint Eastwood. You know, somebody says, Clint, um, some, they, sto- they done stole our cattle. Are we going to go get them? And Clint says, I reckon. <laughs> I can't do Clint very well. <laughs> I reckon. And, and, and that's strong because when Clint says that, when he says, I reckon, that means somebody's going to die. You know, something's going to happen. <laughs> it's, it, he means it, right? It's going to happen. But you know, the Bible, when it says reckon yourselves dead to sin, it's even stronger than that. The Greek word is where we get the word logic from. Uh, the word reckon means to count, consider, calculate, or estimate. It's, it's a conviction. It's a firm conviction. Count yourself. Reckon yourself what? Dead to your sin and alive to God in Christ. It's a, done, it's a slam dunk. It's a for sure thing. You need to believe it in your heart that that is absolutely true. Not just head knowledge, but you're actually believing it. You need to go from theology to believeology. You need to move from your head to your heart. How do we do that? Let me illustrate. Um, if Let's just say that you had a, a bunch of debt. I'm sure you, you don't, but it, let's just pretend. Like you had a bunch of debt, and you're in trouble financially, and you have a long-lost uncle who is very filthy rich, has more money than he knows what to do with. You don't really know him. But he knows you, and he finds out you're hurting for money and in a bad state. So he mails you a credit card with a note saying, I love you, this credit card, just please use it. Uh, there's no limit on it, just you know, hope it helps you. Okay? So a couple things can happen. So he sends that credit card to you. Now, it, it could be very effective. He used it, but let's just say uh, there's other ways where it might not be effective for you. It might not help you at all. One of those ways would be if 
it never gets to you. So it gets lost in the mail, kind of like the knowledge in Jamaica of the slaves. The knowledge never got to them, so it didn't help them in any way. It didn't help their situation. Um, it could also be that somebody stole it. That happens. I've got a friend from high school that's in prison because he, he worked as a mailman. He stole money from, and he got caught. He's in prison. Somebody could steal that credit card, and it doesn't do you any good. Another way it could do you no good is if you get it and you just put it on the shelf and go, that's, I'm sure that's not real. I'm sure that really wouldn't help. I don't even know him. I, I, I'll just, I have to do it myself. That's too good to be true. And see, that's where some of us are when it comes to understanding that we're dead to sin and we're alive to Christ right now. We need to believe it. So in this illustration... How do I know you believe that that credit card will help you? How do I know that? What would you have to do to prove to me you believe it? You use it. You act on it. That's what true believing is, not just some head thing. Now we're in the heart. We're, we're going to act on this. You're going to take it, and you're going to spend it, and you're going to get rid of your debt. And you're going to find out it really works. Believing that we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, if we really believe it and understand it, Take that knowledge and make it useful. It will change our lives. That's why this is a critical message that we understand this because life is not found in sin. Life is found over here with God. And we need life. And we can have it if we have the knowledge and we also believe it in our hearts. Here's the second thing. We need to... Reckon ourselves dead to sin first, but then it goes on to say we need to reckon ourselves, recon ourselves alive to Christ, okay? So dead to sin, alive to Christ, we need to believe it. We need to believe that we are sanctified, that the Bible says we are currently right now, present tense, holy and righteous and, and we're children of God. We need to believe that and own it, and use it in our lives. When we come across temptations, like, that's not who I am, man. That is not who I am. I don't want that. I want to please. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I want to please my God. And that will help us. That will help us. And, and I'm going to give you a quote that I think this could change your life. This one, I wrote it out because it, it was, to me, anyway, it just hit me this week. Listen to this. Sanctification doesn't mean you won't sin, Christian. But it does mean you don't have to. It doesn't mean you won't sin, but it does mean you and I, we don't have to sin anymore. Sin is not our master anymore. It just isn't. We can choose not to now. Before we couldn't, now we can. Listen, this is what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it or stand up under it. And I have found that to be true over and over in my life for the last 40 years, is that when I'm tempted and, oh, it seems so alluring, there is a way out. There comes a moment where I know I can walk away from this or turn my eyes or turn my mind off and I choose to or not. And when I realize who I am in Christ, then the temptation 
is, I don't even want that. It's so much easier just to turn away when I believe the truths that God tells me. John Stott, an English Anglican cleric, said this, sin is inevitable, but is never necessary. We don't have to sin anymore, Christian. That is good news. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to. You are not under a master. So let me ask you a question. Are you trusting in God by choosing not to sin? Are you reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ? Are you believing that in your heart? You have the knowledge. You've engaged your mind. Now you've engaged your heart. You've You've reasoned, you've reckoned, and the last point is we resist by empowering our will. So we engage our minds, engage our hearts, and now we engage our will. We empower our will. We need to offer ourselves to God, this verse says, offer ourselves to God and do good. We need to engage our will to do good. That's what it says in verse 12 and 13. Therefore, say, why is the therefore, therefore? Well, we just got done reading. We need to count ourselves, reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's a fact. We need to believe that. Therefore, because that's true, we do not let sin reign in our mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So when we say, when he's saying offer parts of your body, he's talking about everything, everything physiological about you, including your mind and your eyes and your mouth and your ears and everything about you. Don't offer it for sin because that's not who you are. You're dead to that. Offer it to God because you love him and you want to please him. That's what the verse is saying. We need to offer ourselves to God and do good. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. And the temptation is real. But we can choose to sin or not. Which reminds me of this pastor, not me, and no, nobody I know, pastor who got a speeding ticket, okay? <laughs> I have gotten speeding tickets, but not in this case. So this pastor got a speeding ticket. And, he, th- and, and uh, he thought he would hopefully, you know, use his spiritual influence to influence the policeman, the highway patrolman, to not give him a ticket. And so the policeman tells him how fast he's going, and he's writing out the ticket. And the pastor says, hey, hey, officer, I'm so sorry that I was speeding. I, you know, I'm a pastor. And I, I was just thinking about this verse today. I'd like to share it with you. Blessed are the merciful. <laughs> the policeman wrote a ticket, handed it to him, said, Uh, Thank you much for that verse. I got one for you. Go and sin no more. (laughs) Right? We can choose to sin, but we don't have to. Let me give you four practical things as we finish our last point here. Four practical tips on how to get victory over sin. First of all, we need to plug into God's power. We need to plug into God's power to help us overcome sin. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We need to draw near to God. In James 4, it says this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee. We need to draw near to God, men and women. We need to, our relationship with God needs to heat up. 
is what I'm saying. As our relationship with God gets closer and better and more intense, then the temptation to sin goes away farther and farther. As we cool with our relationship with God, then temptation becomes more difficult. We need to plug into God's power. Listen, I saw a really cool, quick YouTube thing this week on how to demagnetize magnets. I'm sure you all saw that, right? That's I thought it was cool. Josh would think it's cool. You know how they demagnetize magnets? Because they showed this super powerful magnet. And it, was, it would just connect to metal. You know what they did to it? They heated it up. And you know what happened? The inside, the atomic structure restructured itself. And then when they put it on metal, it just dropped down. It, it took care of it. Restructured the inside of the magnet so that it was no longer magnetic. And I think we have like this sin magnet in us, our flesh. It's like a magnet that just, we see, you know, see something we shouldn't see, we want to go right toward it. We do something that we shouldn't do, we want to just go right toward it. We, we, it just attracts us like a magnet. You know how we demagnetize that? Heat up with God. Get hot with God. In your relationship with God, are you, are you passionate about your relationship with God or is it just passive? You heat, let the Holy Spirit heat you up and it'll, it'll cause that magnetic sin just to kind of go away, to tamp down. You won't want that anymore because life is not found there. It's found over here. Heat up your relationship with God. Go after God. Go after him. Let the Holy Spirit just change the inside of you. So you won't even want that sin anymore. It's not that you have to fight it and fight it and fight it. You won't even want it. That's victory over sin. Not, oh, I, uh, I'm going to, oh, I, uh, I want that so bad, but I, I just won't because that's not victory. Because <laughs> you still want it. Victory is, I don't even want that. I don't even care. Life is not found there. Heat your relationship with God. Number two need to maintain proximity. This is pretty logical, right? <laughs> Just stay away from sinful and tempting situations. Don't go up to the line. I have oftentimes young men who are, you know, getting counsel about dating or whatever, and they'll want to they'll know this. Here's the question. How, I don't want to be sexually impure, but how, how far can I go? <laughs> what, what, can I do this? Can, where, where's the line, Bill? And I'll just look at him and smile and say, brother, you are asking the wrong question. And your heart is not in the right place. You shouldn't even be asking that question. That's like having a hand grenade and going, how long can I hold this before it blows up? I'm just curious, how many seconds until it blows up? Really, I want to know. It's like, no, you pull it and you throw it and you run away. Sexual immorality is right there. You run the other way. You don't go up to the line. How, how close can I get? You know what? I, did, I read an article this week about selfie deaths. There were over almost 400 selfie deaths between 2008 2020, mainly young men who just got too close to the edge. Almost 400 deaths. Do not tempt yourself. Run away, which is our next point. Flee from temptation. Who's the great example in the Bible of fleeing temptation? Joseph, yes. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife who was trying to drag him into bed. It says he literally ran out of the house and she had his coat in, his, in her hands. We don't negotiate with sin. We don't hang around hoping, you know, I, I'm strong, I can handle this. No, you run away from it. When that thing pops up on your computer, just turn it off. 
Turn around, walk away. When, when temptation comes, just run away from it. Don't, don't get close to it and run away. Flee from temptation. Finally, embrace your freedom. Last verse from Romans chapter 6 tonight. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. So he kind of summarizes everything we've talked about. What's he say again? For sin shall not be your master. It shall not be. And this is authoritative. This is not just some suggestion. He's not saying, I think this is true. No, it's, he's saying this is what's true. It's like Gandalf on the, the bridge of, what is it, Armadou or whatever that bridge is. And the, the thing's coming at him. He takes a staff. He says, you shall not pass. Paul's saying, you shall, sin shall not be your master. It is not. Because you, you're not under the law. Amen. You're, you're under grace. Present tense right now, under grace. And if we just understood this in our minds and believed it in our heart, then we could resist sin so much more easily. It would be natural because we realize life is not found over there. That's death. Life is found here in God, in grace, in freedom. I want to end with this illustration. I just want you to imagine for a second that um, you're in an airport lobby and you're on your, you're getting ready for your dream vacation. And I don't know about you, when my wife and I, when we, when we fly on vacation, our vacation starts when we get to the airport, okay? Not at our destination, although we have this, we're looking forward to the destination, but We'll start partying right there, and like we're going to eat well, we're going to just enjoy ourselves, and just imagine you're in the lobby waiting for your dream vacation, wherever that would be, whatever that would be, and, and you've saved for this, you've waited years for this, and you're almost there. You're in the, in the airport, and you decide, hey, we're on vacation, and you order a steak or a lobster or salmon, whatever your favorite meal is you say, we're just going to go for it. We say that we have the money, we, we're just going to go for it. So you're eating, for me, it'd be this juicy, unbelievable prime rib steak. It's, it's melting in your mouth. You can't, I can't wait for the next bite. And I'm, I'm eating this, and I'm about halfway through, and then all of a sudden I hear, last call for my flight to my dream vacation. If you're not there in five minutes, the doors are going to close. What do I do? I push away the steak, and I run, smiling like, I'm, here we go. Now, let me ask you something. Why did I push the steak away? That was the best steak I've ever had. I was only halfway through it. Why did I not even give it a longing glance? Like, Why didn't I do that? Was it because I didn't want to disappoint my rich uncle who paid for my trip? I didn't want to disappoint him and miss the flight. So I, even though I want that, huh, my uncle will be disappointed in me. Could it be that I, I belong to a tour group that is very legalistic and they wouldn't like it if I was late, this group that I'm a part of, <laughs> and they would really, I wouldn't be worthy to be in their group anymore if I broke this, if I wasn't there on time, so I really want the steak, but I don't want to disappoint this group. Why did I walk away without a second thought? Because I wanted something else more. That is how sin works. The reason we long for it, we think, oh, I'm not going to, I need to turn this off, but I shouldn't. I'm gonna, one, more, one more luscious glance, and then I'll turn it off. No, no, no. 
This is not where life is found. I have something better. Without a second thought, you will give it up. That's how it works when we understand with our mind, we believe in our heart, and we act with our will. The truths that God gives us. Listen, non-Christians don't have that option. This stake is where life is found. This, this airport lobby is where life is found, the gift shop and the, the candy machine, and, and, and that's where their life is. And they, they might play video games about flying, but there's no real flights for them. You and I, we have our dream flight ahead of us. And when we know that, this has no allure whatsoever. We'll just walk away with a smile because we know we have something better. Amen? Do you believe that life is found in Jesus and not your sin? I hope you do. I hope you do. That's my prayer tonight. And I know that some of you have sins that you just feel like I'll never be able to stop doing this. My prayer tonight is that that God would break through in your life and help you understand these truths so that that sin will no longer have a hold on your life. You will no longer be a slave to that sin. And I know it's hard. And it's even hard to believe that could happen, but I believe these truths will help you. I believe these truths tell you that you are free from that sin already. You just need to let it go. In summary, can I just ask this question? Isn't it good to know you don't have to sin anymore? Isn't that good to know? And it's, it's a fact. We are alive to Christ. We are dead to sin. We have victory over sin right now, even when it rears up and scares us. With a Gucci jacket on, sin pops its ugly head, and we're surprised by it. Listen, you can still walk away because of what Jesus did. We reason, we reckon, and we resist. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these practical steps that we find in the scriptures. Oh, God, I really believe they'll help us win this war with sin. And we all know, we all know, I know everyone here knows that battle. We know the pull of the flesh. We know the strength that the world has in the devil. And we know that Satan is very strategic. Like Paul said, we're not ignorant of his schemes. And thankfully, you've given us a strategy to counteract that terrorism on the spiritual level. God, help us by your power, by your strength, by your spirit, to grow in knowledge of the truth, to believe what you say about us, and to tap into the Holy power, the Holy Spirit power that's available to us. We thank you for giving us victory over sin. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.